Uh, well, I want to share with you one piece of cool historical information and then one piece of really, really good news as we get started this morning, okay? Historically, the tidbit is that Maricopa Springs is officially nine years old today. We held our first service Easter Sunday 2010, which in some ways feels like an eternity ago. Uh, I'm thankful for just everything that God has done for the role that you have played in being part of Maricopa Springs and what God has done in changing you and transforming you and growing you and everything that he's done in my life and my family. And man, I'm just in awe of God. Uh, He is truly incredible. We serve an amazing God. And speaking of that amazing God that we serve, far more importantly, I want to remind you that Jesus is risen, right? Ponder that for a second. Jesus lives. Jesus lives. This is not in my notes, but I found myself in a conversation recently with a guy who was sort of asking some questions about, uh, you know, the, the Christian faith. And, and I said to him, uh, can you think of any peasant in history whose name you know? He was like, no, I can't. I was like, I can think of one, Jesus. Like, what an incredible truth that here's this peasant guy from a country town in Israel who lived 2,000 years ago, and we all know his name. Why is that? Because he lives. So let the God of our salvation be exalted. Let's pray together. Let's give God thanks for all that he has accomplished. God, we do stand in awe of you. What God is like our God? Humble enough to become a human. Humble enough to live the life of a peasant. Humble enough to die on a cross. And also powerful enough to rise from the dead, to conquer sin and evil, to give eternal life to all who believe. God, we are in awe of you and we join with myriads and myriads of other saints around the globe this morning as we praise you that the tomb was empty, that our salvation is true, that Christ is Lord. And so, Lord, do a mighty work in our hearts to just bring us into your presence, to turn our minds and hearts to you in worship. Lord, as we listen to your word, let us be in awe of all that you have done. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, since it's Resurrection Sunday, I mean, if, you, if this is the only time of year where you tend to go to church, I just want to make something clear. Every time we go to church, we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. I hope you understand that. That's why we meet on Sunday morning. It's because that's the day that Christ rose. And so as Christians, we're always celebrating that. But this is what we would call Resurrection Sunday or Easter Sunday when we kind of zero in on the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. We specifically take some time to reflect on the fact that Christ has the victory over sin and evil. And so uh, we are going to pause our study through First Thessalonians. We're going to take a break for a week. And instead, we're going to look at Psalm 22. So I want you to turn in your Bible to Psalm 22. If you don't have a Bible, I'm sure Aaron would be willing to grab one off our back table and share with you. If you are bold enough to just put your hand up, uh, he would love to deliver one or download a Bible app. Um, we, we, Aaron, right up here, there's, there's a request for one. 
so we're going to look at Psalm 22, and um, this is such an incredible psalm. In fact, we're not going to read all of it just for the sake of time, but I would love for you to go home today and read this. It is an account of the crucifixion, uh, almost from beginning to end. So on Easter morning, we celebrate the fact that the tomb in which Jesus was buried in on the third day was empty. And it was empty because Jesus rose from the dead, proving himself to be Savior and God and Lord, authenticating every incredible claim that he made about himself. But the fact that the tomb was empty, I think, does require a little bit of context, doesn't it? In order for us to celebrate that the tomb was empty, first we have to acknowledge that Jesus actually died. That he was laid there breathless, lifeless, in death. And the cause of his death, I'm sure we all know, was the terrible fact that he was nailed to a Roman cross, executed precisely for his claims to be God. And as he hung on that cross dying, Jesus said a couple of things, two of which I want to call to your remembrance this morning as we look at Psalm 22. First, He cried out to the darkened sky above him, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then, just before he died, Jesus spoke the words, It is finished. It is finished. In the first phrase, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We find utter despair. Hopelessness, desolation, defeat, incomprehensible loneliness, an agonizing cry of abandonment. And then in the second statement, it is finished, we find all of our consolation as Christians, don't we? All of the hope of humanity, all of the joy of salvation in that simple phrase, Victory over sin, victory over despair, victory over death. Now, did you know that Jesus borrowed these phrases from Psalm 22? These words, as he uttered them, were not original, you might say. They had already been spoken. In fact, Jesus didn't merely borrow the words from Psalm 22, which was written a thousand years before his life in prophecy. In fact, Jesus actually lived out the prophetic nature of that psalm as he died on the cross. Again, go home and read it today in full. It's incredible. But for now, I want us to just work our way through a couple parts of that psalm slowly and in a reflective way so that our hearts are moved to just worship Jesus and see how beautiful he is. Honestly, I don't have much of an application for you today. I just want to draw your heart deep into the beauty of the fact that Jesus lives. So let me read Psalm 22 and start with just verses 1 and 2. It says, To the choir master, according to the doe of the dawn, a psalm of David, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? From the words of my groaning. Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. 
and by night, but I find no rest. In the hours leading up to his arrest and his trial and his crucifixion, Jesus cried out to God his Father in the Garden of Gethsemane. And the text tells us that the anxiety regarding future events was so heavy on his heart that he sweat great drops of sweat. The text even says, like drops of blood. Day and night he cried out to God. And in that crying out, none of his prayers changed his circumstances. And so God saw fit to have Jesus executed in one of the most horrific ways imaginable to man. And as Jesus hangs on the cross, he cries out again to God his Father, to the dark and empty sky above him, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Have you ever prayed that prayer? Have those words ever come out of your mouth? Have you ever cried out to God in anguish? only to hear a deafening silence in reply? Have you ever felt forsaken by God? Have you ever experienced those feelings of despair that come with searching to see if God is there with you only to feel alone, like He has left you? Well, I honestly wish that I could tell you that every time you cry out to God, He's going to come and rescue you. He's going to change your circumstances. He's going to clear away the dark clouds and bring back the sunshine and the rainbows. But if I did that, I think I would be a terrible pastor. Because if Jesus didn't get an answer to prayer, I think it would be wise of me to make you aware of the fact that in those times of despair, you may not get an answer either. But would you believe me, would you believe me, if I said that in the silence of this moment at the cross, we actually get something better? We get a picture of a better God than a God who acts like a helicopter parent, always rescuing his children from trouble, chasing away all of our problems. Let me try and explain. Consider for a second. Do you know what it's like to be God? Have you entered into the heavenly realms? Did you form the oceans? Did you create life? Did you hang the sun and the moon and the stars in their place? Do you know all things and live in utter perfection? Are you immutable, eternal, omnipotent, omnipresent, and just? Do you even know what all those words mean? Can you, who are sinful, rise to the throne of God, who is holy, in glory and splendor? Of course not. No. No, you and I, we are perishable, we are fragile. We are tiny, inconsequential sparks of life in an ever-flowing stream of history. You don't know what it's like to be God, and you will never know what it's like to be God, but get this. 
God actually knows what it's like to be human. You cannot go to him but in Christ Jesus and his cry of despair to an empty sky. God has come to you. When Jesus cried out to the dark and empty night as he hung on the cross, he became intimately acquainted with human suffering. In that moment, God who dwells in unapproachable light felt the despair of crushing darkness. The God from whom fear itself runs in terror subjected himself to the clutching grasp of death. The God who is life was enveloped by death. The God who for eternity past was in a perfect relationship of love, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, always together, intimately, in friendship, loving relationship with one another, suddenly found himself alone. Lonely, like you have been lonely. Abandoned, like you have been abandoned. Hurting, like you have been hurting. And do you see the comfort in this truth? When you cry out to God, He knows what it's like to hear nothing. That when life brings upon you the troubles that Jesus said would surely come, and you cry out to God, you are crying out to a God who Himself has said the words, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Our God knows human suffering. Our God has tasted death. Jesus Christ, our Lord, has experienced the anguish of divine silence. He has been through a dark night of the soul where all hope seems lost. And so our cries are heard by a God who is intimately acquainted with loneliness, abandonment, and despair. Jesus Christ has been there. But he didn't stay there. Which is what Psalm 22 teaches us to see. Even as we look at the cross where we find comfort for our loneliness and our despair and our darkness, we find another great comfort. Read again with me verses 1 through 5 this time. To the choir master, according to the doe of the dawn, a psalm of David. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? From the words of my groaning. Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. Yet, you are holy. Enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not Put to shame. The word that starts verse 3 and the verses that are attached to it following are an anchor for our souls when the storms of life are threatening us. Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest, and yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted. They trusted. And you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted 
and they were not put to shame. Jesus didn't speak these words as he hung on the cross, but I assure you that as he quotes the first part of Psalm 22, and as we're going to see, he quotes the last part of Psalm 22, this whole psalm was in his heart, even if it didn't proceed from his lips. Because what kept Jesus hanging on the cross was not the nails or the soldiers standing around. It was not the power of Rome or the Pharisees that kept him nailed to the cross. It was actually confidence and trust in the power of God his Father to deliver him and to redeem him from his suffering. Jesus knew that even in the darkness where there was no answer, God's loving faithfulness stood still, immutable, unshakable, eternal. Jesus knew, even as he cried out and he heard silence in reply to his cries, that God is trustworthy and he would not permit his beloved to be put to shame. Is this how you think about God? Is this how you see God? Is this how you remember him steadfast and immovable, trustworthy and faithful, regardless of the darkness pressing in or the circumstances surrounding you? Do you trust that he will not let you, his beloved, be put to shame? I recently found myself in a conversation with a lady. She doesn't attend this church. And my heart was just moved to sadness. She told me a story just about great suffering that her and her family had been through. I don't have time to share the details now, but she was in her like mid-50s probably. And if you heard the story, you would agree with me. You would say, that, that's, that's enough suffering for multiple lifetimes. It was that heartbreaking. But what broke my heart the most was that she said at one point she thought she had a relationship with God. She would have called herself a Christian. But because of so much heartache and so much suffering, she walked away from God. She claimed that she was a Christian in the past, but after so many dark nights and so many unanswered cries into the silence, she finally gave up and abandoned God because she believed the lie that God had abandoned her. And I was so sad Because she failed to understand two things about our God that we see right here in this psalm and in the cross of Jesus Christ. One, our God is ever-present with us through our suffering because He's been there and He knows how hard it is because He Himself has suffered. But more importantly, those who continue to trust in God even through the darkest nights, they will be delivered. Do you believe that? Jesus knew this, not just because he was God and could look forward to the empty tomb, although he knew God would raise him from the dead, that is true. But like the psalm teaches us, he could look back like Israel did and see that God historically in his interaction with his beloved people was always faithful to save. God heard the cry of the Israelites in Egypt in slavery for 400 years And he sent Moses to lead them to freedom. God heard the cry of David in Psalm 51 as he pours out his heart in confession of sin. And God forgave. 
God heard the cry of the remnant in Babylon taken into captivity. And God redeemed and brought them home. And we are blessed now to look back and see clearly that although Jesus cried out in the dark to an empty sky and heard nothing in reply, God heard his cries and redeemed him from the grave, rose him from, raised him from the dead. The power of God reached down even into the realm of death so that we might see the saving power of the God that we worship. Jesus was not spared his suffering. But in the end, he stood triumphant over death and evil by the power of our God who is a faithful redeemer. And so my friends, I beg you, place all of your hope and your trust in this God daily. Forsake your faith in your money, your career, your knowledge, your wisdom. Forsake your faith in this country. Forsake your faith in your spouse, in anything else that you might place your hope in. And instead, I beg you, place all of your trust in this God who is faithful to save, who is trustworthy to redeem. Do not relent of your faith in Him even in the darkest of nights because our God is well acquainted with your suffering. And more importantly, He is the great Deliverer who is mighty to save. Now skip down with me to verse 22 and read a little further of this Psalm of the Cross. It says, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, and he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. Notice how the perspective of these verses shifts. It's now past tense. Although the psalm began with this present tense dive into this deep pit of despair and abandonment, now the psalm shifts to the past tense so that we might be reminded of the salvation of God's people which has already been assured in the fact that our God is trustworthy. Our God has not hidden His face from Jesus, although that's how Jesus may feel in that moment. But in fact, God heard Christ when Christ cried out to him. And so our God has not hidden his face from us when we cry to him, but he hears. He hears so that we might praise him, so that we might give him glory, so that we might stand in awe of him for his goodness and mercy and strength to save us. Now skip ahead again, 27 to 31. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship before him, shall bow all who go down to the dust, even the one who could not keep himself alive. 
Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generations. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, that he has done it. Listen, although this psalm begins as a psalm of despair, it ends as a psalm of rejoicing, doesn't it? Although the weekend around Easter begins as a time of despair, the darkness of the cross, it ends with rejoicing. The cross is a song of despair, but the tomb, the empty tomb, is a song of rejoicing. He has made a way. With his final few breaths, Jesus declares, it is finished. He has done it. He has bridged the gap between sin and salvation, between man and God. What man could not do for himself, finding his way back to God, God has done with his own blood. Piercing the darkness of man's sin with the light of life. On the cross, Jesus endured the rejection of God. He suffered that rejection on our behalf. He bore the silence of that moment for our sake so that we might then hear the good news. It is finished. On the cross, Jesus Christ atoned for our sins with His blood and He died so that we might live. But let's not stop there. Okay, I realize that's where Psalm 22 ends. Maybe you thought I was coming to a conclusion. But I think God in His providence, in His wisdom, surely also had David write Psalm 23. And in His providence, in His wisdom, He had Psalm 23 in our Bibles come next. It's a perfect arrangement. Psalm 22 comes to the end. We hear the final words on the cross. It is finished. But don't you want to know what's next? What comes next? Well, in the Easter story, it's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And after Jesus finishes making atonement for our sins on the cross, He then rises to new life. And He bestows that life upon all of us who believe, who look to Him, who trust Him, who see in Him our deliverance. And Psalm 23 is a beautiful picture of this new life which Jesus offers to those who trust Him. And so let's read this. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Um, maybe on kind of a silly side note, one of my school assignments right now is to memorize this in Hebrew, 
by like Wednesday and all I've got is Ms. Moore la the weed. That's it. And so I'm in a little bit of a fight with Psalm 23. But even with that being the case, this is just beautiful, isn't it? There's a reason why everyone knows this psalm. There's a reason why it's read at funerals and put on the sides of coffee mugs and pasted up in people's homes. There's a reason why it pervades the Christian mind and why so many of you I could see were whispering it along with me even as I read it because you've memorized it. Because this paints a picture of the rest, of the peace, of the deliverance, the friendship, the salvation, the hope, the security that we have in Christ, our Lord. Because of Christ's finished work on the cross, because of the blood that he spilled, the Lord is not our tormentor for sin. Do you understand that? If you are saved, do you know that you are saved from the wrath of God? And we rejoice because the Lord is not our tormentor for sin. Instead, He is our gentle shepherd, concerned to lead us in paths of righteousness. He promises us the rest of green pastures where all of our needs are well supplied at His hands. He guides us to streams of living water where our souls find drink that satisfies forever. He restores our broken and weary souls after a long journey through this troubling life. And He does all of that. Why? So that we might give praise and glory to His name for His name's sake. And in verse 4, we see a great promise that even though we must continue through the valley of the shadow of death in this life, where evil and darkness seem to prevail, our good shepherd, he walks with us through that journey. He has not left us alone. Instead, he's like a shield about us. And we know that because of the empty tomb, not even the greatest weapon of evil can stand against his loving power to redeem us. So that death itself has no sting for those of us who are in Christ. And where the darkness presses in upon us to weigh us down, to cause us to doubt, Christ is a comfort to us through his love. And then verse 5, we see that our good shepherd, he anoints our heads with oil. But that's not all that he anoints us with. Jesus himself was the anointed one. That's what Messiah means. And the oil of his anointing poured out upon him at the start of his ministry was the Holy Spirit of God. That's the same Holy Spirit that, John, that Jesus promised he would leave for his disciples. That they might be comforted, that they might be empowered to follow him. And so the empty tomb reminds us that although Christ Jesus has gone to be with the Father, he has not left us as orphans, but has given us the anointing of his Holy Spirit that we might share in the presence of our God even now. We don't cry out to a silent God distant from us, but instead, our God, through His Spirit, dwells in us. 
anointing us with the same Spirit with which Christ Himself was anointed. And then finally, verse 6, the antidote to the despair that I mentioned at the beginning of this message. How is it that the Bible can promise to you and to I that goodness and mercy shall follow us all the days of our lives? You ever had any experiences in life that seem somewhat contradictory to that? Look, nobody gets through this life without suffering and hardship. If yours hasn't come yet, buckle up. (laughs) Let's just be honest about the fact that you don't get through life without difficulty. But because Jesus Christ, our good shepherd, suffered evil and suffered contempt in an ultimate sense, because he cried out and he found no reprieve from his Father, because he bore the weight of that sin and evil to the very end, because he has done it. Whatever difficulties and trials this life might bring upon you, still goodness and mercy follow us all the days of our lives. Because God goes with us. A place has been reserved for us at the table of the house of the Lord forever. Goodness and mercy are ours because Christ Jesus, our good shepherd, lives. And so the question then is this, where are you going to dwell forever? Where will you dwell forever? Would you prefer to go back to the beginning of Psalm 22 and dwell there? The darkness and despair of isolation. The crushing silence of an empty night. The violent hopelessness and abandonment of the cross. That should have been yours. Forsaken. Alone. Rejected. Or will you yet trust in God and be delivered? Will you choose instead to follow the Good Shepherd, through the valley of the shadow of death, which this life still holds for you, ultimately then to the resurrection life of green pastures, still waters. Will you live for His name's sake, or will you live for your name's sake? Will you accept goodness and mercy from His hand? Jesus lives. He is risen. And Easter reminds us that we have been invited to dwell in the house of the Lord forever through the death and life of Jesus Christ. But the choice then remains for us to accept that invitation, to walk with Him, to follow Him, to trust Him. Not one time at some Easter church service, but every day, every day of our lives as we follow Him, Jesus, the risen, good shepherd. Let me pray. Lord God, teach us to trust you. Help us remember your victory. Keep our faith in you secure even in the darkness and the trials. We thank you not only for the example of Jesus Christ, who showed us what that looks like on the cross, But more significantly, we thank you for his blood who paved a way for us and his resurrection 
that proved him to be victorious over death. God, would you anoint us with your Holy Spirit that we might walk in obedience with you, following you, the Good Shepherd, trusting in you. And would you lead us then to still waters, to green pastures, We thank you that we get to dwell in the house of the Lord forever because the tomb was empty. Amen.